Hey, it's Jason. Just a personal note before this episode begins. I'm recording this a couple of days before the release of the episode. The coronavirus and its disruption of our daily lives is, of course, on everyone's minds now. And a lot of us are starting to change the way that we do things. So what you should know is that I record most interviews several weeks before they are actually released. So in case it seems weird that uh, my guest and I are not talking about the thing that everyone is talking about, that's why. Just want to make sure you knew. Thank you for listening. Here's the show. Hey, Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey, Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This week's presenting sponsor is Panhandle Plains Historical Museum in Canyon. It's the largest history museum in Texas and one of the hidden gems of this area. If you're interested in local history, you can learn so much from the artifacts and collections at PPHM. Learn more at panhandleplains.org. Also, before we start, two pieces of podcast business. First, I've launched an email newsletter to accompany the show every week. If you like the show, I think you'll like the newsletter. You can sign up for it at bit.ly slash hey newsletter. That's B-I-T dot L-Y. Second, I'm working with a research methods class at WT to do a survey of Hey Amarillo listeners so I can learn more about who listens every week. The survey takes less than a minute of your time, so please go fill it out. You can take it at bit.ly slash surveyhey. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash surveyhey. Today's guest is Dr. Neil Nossaman. Neil is a longtime Amarillo optometrist and one of the partners at Broom Optical, which celebrated its 90th year in 2019. He spent several years serving on the Amarillo College Board of Regents, and he's been involved with all kinds of local nonprofits. We cover a ton of ground in this episode, from how he followed in his father's footsteps as a young optometrist to his coming out as a gay man in Amarillo in the 1990s after establishing his practice. In fact, Neil and his husband, Greg, have been together for more than 25 years. Here's Neil Nossaman. Neil Nossaman, welcome to the Hamarillo Podcast. Thanks Thank for being you. here. Thank you, Jason. It's good to be here. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're here. Um, I know that there's a lot of different directions we can go with this conversation, but I like to start like I do with every guest and just ask how you ended up here in the first place. So why are you in Amarillo and why have you been in Amarillo for so long? Well, I was born in Houston. My father is an optometrist, was an optometrist, and uh, got transferred to Amarillo when I was four. So I did all my schooling here, went to Amarillo College for two years, um, transferred to TCU, and then had decided at that time that I wanted to go to optometry school. So when I came back from Houston, University of Houston College of Optometry, I thought, you know, I'll stay here. I've got a good setup. My dad wants a partner. I'll stay for five years, and then I'll move back to Fort Worth because I love Fort Worth. It was the perfect size city for me. And that was, what, 26 years ago, Mm -hmm. (laughs) something like that. So um, I, I fell in love again with Amarillo, and I wanted to stay here. Do you feel like that was a kind of an accident or did it feel intentional? You know, some people stay here because they sort of, it's inertia, you know, it just gets harder and harder to leave. I mean, did you ever feel like there was a point where you're like, okay, this is it, I'm going to stay? There wasn't a point. In fact, I don't even remember thinking about moving after I 
I got here. It was easy to start a practice, especially because my father already had an established one. I loved the people that I met, which were very diverse. We were on the north side of Amarillo. Mm-hmm. And I felt like compared to some of my classmates who were in big cities like Dallas and Fort Worth, that my practice may may be as much cosmopolitan as theirs was, but a lot more cosmopolitan than my colleagues who practiced on the other side of this town. Okay. Very diverse. And I loved it. And I loved helping people. Was the the idea to follow in your dad's footsteps, was that something that came very naturally? Or did you, I mean, were you ever one of those rebellious kids who are like, I'm going to do something <laughs> that's totally not the family business, you know? Well, I grew up knowing that my dad was an optometrist and visiting the office and even working at the office in the summer and, you know, doing filing and things like that. So I knew what it was about, but I had so many other interests too. And, uh, you know, in high school, I thought I wanted to be an architect until I took drafting and I was kind of a perfectionist and wanted to redo my drawings every time I messed up. This was before CAD. Right. <laughs> AutoCAD. It was, it, was, it was a big problem back then. <laughs> yeah. And then um, in college, especially at TCU, it was Texas Christian University, I thought about the ministry. I thought about, I was a psychology minor, so I thought about counseling. I was really interested in counseling and also was a biology major. So I thought about optometry school. I wasn't sure, I wasn't confident that my grades and everything would get me into optometry school. So when I sent off the application, I just kind of made a little pact with God that if I don't get accepted to optometry school, I will become a professional counselor of some type. And lo and behold, I got accepted, and I realized after I got out of school that the other two things that I had a passion for I could do without necessarily a degree. I worked kind of in a youth group and as a youth director for a while, while I was an optometrist. And in optometry, you do you use a lot of psychology and use a mm-hmm. lot of counseling. So it's been a good deal. I think I, think I picked the right... One of the three, and I've enjoyed what I do. Okay. You you let one of the three sort of be the main the main driver of, of your life, and the other, th- yes. other two sort of just tag along they with that one, it. I guess. Yeah. They enhance it. Tell me what you enjoy about your job. Um, it, it occurs to me that it's one of those jobs where, uh, or one of those careers where maybe the people are different every day, but you're doing a lot of the same mm-hmm. types of things from day to day. So there's a routine involved. Mm-hmm. But there's also that aspect of of helping people. Uh, so so tell me, you know, maybe what what you like about you know that from week to week. Or, well, you or, just answered it. Okay, well. <laughs> but I'll, I'll expand. I do tell people that I do the same thing every day, but every patient makes it different. And I don't do the same thing on every patient. I'm not a cookbook optometrist mm-hmm. by any means. So we look at we're detectives basically. We're we're given clues by the patient and and our testing and our findings and stuff. And our goal is to improve vision, if we can, to maximize the potential of someone's vision. And to me, that's a quality of life issue. So I get a lot of satisfaction in helping people's quality of life improve. And that's that's the gist of it. Yeah, that, that often something that is as simple as vision can 
open up life in a, a way that maybe mm-hmm. people didn't expect. Right. But I also love talking to the people. In mm-hmm. fact, I get kind of behind sometimes because I talk too much. But I think that's part of the maybe the counseling side of me, that we probably don't have as much social interaction as we used to. And this not only satisfies my social interaction, but sometimes helps people who just need a listening ear or just need don't get to talk to people as often. You mentioned that you you kind of you know took over your father's practice. Tell me something about the history of, of the business itself, and his practice and, and how he kind of came here and mm-hmm. started. My father was with Lee Optical, which was a commercial optical chain, when he got transferred from Houston to Amarillo. And his office was on Amarillo Boulevard next to a Levine's. That was in 1964, I believe. So in 1970, a state law was passed that if an optometrist did not own 100% of the optical, there had to be a wall put down the office in the middle. It had to be divided. There would be two separate entrances, one to the doctor's office, one to the optical. And that's still a, a law, and some of the places in town are still that way. Okay. So... He had, a tall, he had a long, skinny office at that time. And then about 10 years later, he decided he wanted to, and I guess at that time he was self-employed. He wasn't owned by or wasn't working for Lee Optical anymore. And then he decided he wanted a bigger space. So he and an optician opened up Martindale Eye Care Center across the street in the Martindale Plaza Shopping Center. And... I joined him in 87 because he had built enough exam rooms for another doctor. And I was there till 2005 when I got, my dad had just retired a couple of years before. By the way, my, my mom was our office manager. My sister was our optical manager. All right. So it was a full family were, business. Yeah, plus a few other employees. And it was family and we got along well and it worked well. And my mom and dad retired. And I had another couple of associates and noticed that that shopping center, that area of town was declining. And I decided I wanted to stay on the north side of town, but maybe a little bit more west instead of east, kind of where the emerging Tascosa Road area was Mm -hmm. developing. So I looked at some land, three different parcels of land, got turned down on all of them. Wow. But before I got turned down on the last one, I got a call from uh, Panhandle Eye Group, who at then at that time owned Broom Optical. Right. And she said, would you have lunch with me? And I can't remember if anyone else was there. And on my way to that lunch, my realtor called me and said, well, Neil, I have some bad news. They just took that property off the market. I guess the potential of prices was good was going up, Mm -hmm. you know, the speculation. So anyway, that was another sign from God that, well, maybe this is a deal. I knew what was going to happen at lunch. And uh, they asked me to join Room Optical, bought my practice. And we were owned by Broom Optical, I mean, by Penelope Group for several years, seven or eight years. And then they decided to get out of the optical business and sold it back to us. Okay. Now there's six partners. That's where I am now. It's was, a good decision. Was it a a tough decision 
going from you I mean you had been in a, a family business mm-hmm. very much everybody there was was kind of family into a business that had a very long history i know that the broom optical does but also where you had multiple partners and anyway it's just a different model mm-hmm. um was was that an adjustment to make or with you know the nature of your practice not a big deal it had pros and cons um being under the umbrella of pen and lag group we could make decisions on a daily basis. No one told us how to practice. No one told us how to do our our business. But there was a lack of control that optometrists are used to mm-hmm. having. And then the the nice thing that was more of a transition was Broom Optical was two sides. They're doctors on two sides. So we had our own little waiting room. They had the other side had their own little waiting room, so it was almost like two small offices in one large building. It's not that way anymore. We've kind of taken out the little waiting rooms and and made a big one, but a lot more employees Mm -hmm. and customer service in a larger business is harder to control than it is in a smart a smaller business. So that was my big worry about my patients. Would they? Would they like the larger office, the larger number of employees, you know? And, you know, you can't ever take all your patients with you, especially when they live, a lot of them live on the north side of town. Right, yeah. I mean, so you were making a move geographically. Mm -hmm. But I still have patients that I've seen from the very first year. And I would hope to think that, some of my influences running a small business rubbed off on Broom. We have we have made an effort to increase our customer service every year. It's it's as good as it's ever been. Mm-hmm. But those first that first year, some growing. Pains, I was I, I was a little anxious <laughs> that things weren't that that patients weren't uh, treated maybe the way we did at our old office. Is your practice? A, um, you know, th- since you've been at it for so long, and I know that technology changes a lot of things, is it one that has been impacted by just the way the culture has changed, the way that technology has changed, production, oh, yes. testing techniques, all that kind of stuff? When I graduated from optometry school, I was trained to do a lot more things than the state of Texas would allow an optometrist to do uh, because it was a teaching institution. Mm-hmm. When I got into my own practice, we couldn't use dilating drops because we might blind someone. Okay. Well, those laws changed throughout probably the first few years of my practice, and the scope of optometry changed from a routine glasses and contact lens only to a diagnosing eye disease, not necessarily treating some minor eye diseases or eye conditions, but at least being able to refer patients okay. be- with a solid knowledge that they have this diagnosis because of technology has mm-hmm. increased our ability to diagnose and to screen for ocular diseases through um, new instruments and things like that. I think the plus side of coming to a large practice is that we are able to afford the highest quality instruments because we're splitting it six ways instead of (laughs) one person buying it themselves and uh, optical or optician optometry equipment is not cheap 
So I'm very fortunate that we can stay high or the highest level of technology to treat our patients. Is there anything you've learned, you know, being, you know, even even with the business side of your practice, having been in business for this many years in Amarillo, uh, knowing what the business climate is, knowing um, some of those challenges, I mean, to have... When you look back at the decision to stay here versus going to Fort Worth or someplace like that, um, did, can you can you look back at that and say this was a good decision because of one thing or another related to Amarillo? I think it was a good decision at the time for me to come to Amarillo and stay in Amarillo because the optometrist to patient ratio was was low. And we had done this, one of our class projects was to do a study on a, a location. Okay. So just community. So it was good. It was... Yes. I had no problem getting new patients. I had no problem keeping patients because there wasn't a lot of competition. Fast forward to today, there's a lot of competition and it's harder for, it would be, I would think next to impossible for someone to start up a solo practice, optometry practice in Amarillo, simply because... They have no one to help them, really. Mm-hmm. They have to do everything themselves to market their themselves and, you know, run a business. So, you know, we look every so often for new graduates or young optometrists to join our practice because, you know, our doctors get older right. each year. And uh, it's worked. That that system has worked for us and for the people that have joined our, our practice. What have you learned about the people of Amarillo? You you spend so much time, you know, on a daily basis with you know, with patients who come in. Mm-hmm. Some I, I would think most of which you know already. I mean, it's it's an ongoing sort of relationship that you have. Is that is that accurate? I mean, do you have a lot of new patients that come in, or is it most of it people you know, that you are checking up on from year to year? I do have my I develop relationships with patients that have been coming every year and now bringing, or I'm seeing children of children that I saw when I first right. started. Grand practice. patients. Yes. So that's, that's a family to me. And even though I may see them once a year, it's, we remember mm-hmm. all of that. What have you learned over the years about maybe the people of Amarillo or the, the spirit of mm-hmm. this community in your interactions with them from day to day? I have learned so much. I think I witness a side of Amarillo that most people don't. Okay. Uh, my husband works um, at Sandia with the same people every day. And maybe some people from Sandia, Albuquerque come in. But, you know, he sees a certain level of education and socioeconomic level. And I don't. I see everything. Every type of person that lives in Amarillo. And the common thing I see is how kind and how respectful and how gracious and thankful they are for what I do for them Mm -hmm. um, or what other people do for them. They're just good people. And that's, that makes my days just wonderful. Do you feel that that's something unique to this area? Like, I don't know, had you had you gone to Fort Worth or had you gone to someplace larger and were dealing with patients, um, do, do you think it would feel different? I think it probably would. I think sometimes larger cities are more, not transitional, but um, people move around. Mm-hmm. 
to different neighborhoods that may be miles away instead of, you know, blocks away. So there probably is not as much of that um, consistent patient base. Okay. So yeah, I, which is I true. Like, I mean, you could you could have patients really living in any part of Amarillo, and it's not too mm-hmm. much of a slog to get right. to your practice when you're pretty centrally mm-hmm. located. Whereas if you know somebody moved to the next suburb over in the yes. Metroplex, yeah. you know it's 45 minutes. To There's going to be 40 offices that will serve them in exactly. that Metroplex in that suburb. Uh, you mentioned your husband, and that's one question that I wanted to talk about. I know that you and Greg have been together for. Um, a long, long time. And, you know, it may be one way today and, and things are a little bit more open. People are more accepting. But, you know, in the 90s, uh, being a gay man in Amarillo was definitely different from how it is today. So I, I wanted to ask what that experience was like, maybe maybe some of the things that, that you had to go through at that point. In 90, I hit it. <laughs> I didn't tell anyone. Um, I had some friends that knew but not a whole lot. I lived two lives, you know. I lived was this s- in college or before college? Oh, I was kind of a late bloomer. Okay. Um, I mean, I had a close group of people I could talk about that with, but not a whole lot. And I didn't really go out and meet people. Mm-hmm. Um, it was also the age of AIDS and the scare of AIDS. And, and I didn't want to do anything that was risky or threatening. So I just kind of kept it hidden, basically. And then I met Greg in 1990, end of 93, 94. And when I decided how important he was going to be in my life, I thought, you know, I don't, I'm not going to lie about this anymore. I'm not going to hide him from my family or my friends or my patients if they ask or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know. And it was the most liberating thing I could have done. I didn't, I no longer had to <laughs> lead these two lives. Right. And you know what I'm talking about is just saying, no, I'm not married. Um, I have a girlfriend. I was dating girls and guys sometimes <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> and they didn't know it. But um, you know, I didn't have to do that. I didn't have to play those games anymore. Because I'm not, I'm certainly not a person that likes to play games. Yeah. And it was great. And people understood. And I, I may have lost some patience. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't broadcast it by any way. But if someone asked me if I was married, I would say, well, I'm in a relationship and it's with a guy. And that, you know, depending on their age, seems like the younger people and the older people got it. The older people did. Yeah. Hmm. Because I think at a certain time in your life, who cares? Well, that's <laughs> love true. is love. <laughs> but we've also, Greg and I together, have developed so many sweet friends, a lot of straight couples that support us, and we have been shown so much love and support in the in the community. Part of that's because we participate in the community. We're both involved in things and. And we treat people like we want to be treated, and that's really the main thing. I guess with with different states and the marriage laws, you know, there was a long time when you were together, but like officially, mm-hmm. you were not able to be married. Did you ever go through like a, a ceremony and and you know do that with you know, pieces of paper <clears throat> and acknowledgement of the the government and all that kind of stuff? We did go to an attorney and have legal documents 
drawn up that would protect us if one of us died, that would protect partner, mm -hmm. because that's what you had to do. And we never thought that we really needed to be married, that we, we felt like God blessed our relationship, and it was blessed by our friends and our families, and we didn't really see the point until things started changing in the nation. And um, just slowly, I mean, it actually happened pretty fast, but um, slowly, state by state, things were changing with laws. And we decided not only for the legal protection, but to declare our, publicly declare our love for each other, we would do that. We knew who we wanted to marry us. It was a woman named Nanette McIntyre who used to live in Amarillo. She was a professional counselor here and a friend of ours. She had moved to Santa Barbara and had become a celebrant and was seeing a few clients, but was actually celebrating in the most joyous times of people's lives, mm -hmm. which was maybe a switch from what she did before. And um, we told our group of friends, we called it our wine group, but there were some gay friends and some straight friends that were all at our house one summer evening. And we told them, and we said we we're going to get married in Santa Barbara. And every single one of them, there were 20 of them, said they would be there. Wow. And we started planning. I kind of started planning, talking to people in Santa Barbara. And then Greg was watching the political stuff. And he says, you know, I think New Mexico is going to turn pretty soon. There's a county clerk that's issuing licenses, and I think um, we could safely get married in New Mexico. Santa Fe is the place we've been three times as often as any place else. Right. So it meant a lot to us. It was our first trip. It was our last trip, you know. So, and we knew that Nanette liked Santa Fe. So we called her and said, would you mind doing it in Santa Fe? And she said, I'd love to. So we flew her to Santa Fe. We got married outdoors on February 2nd, six years ago, which was our 20th anniversary from the first date we had. Okay. So we call ourselves 20 plus six years got married. It. But when we crossed the line to Texas, we weren't married. But that was fine. We had a certificate, mm -hmm. you know, and at some point it would be legal in It'll Texas too. And I think, I think it was later on that year that the Supreme Court made their decision and we rejoiced with a hundred other people. Is there any difference in your relationship going from partner to husband? I mean, just in the language. I mean, did, yes. you, did you think of it? Obviously, you thought about it beforehand, but is, is, what does it mean to be able to say, all right, now we're legal? What was cool about using Nanette, she sent us three sets of 10 questions, so like 30 questions total, and that we had to fill out. And we were on our way, we were on vacation on a plane to take a trip, and we were filling out some of these questions. And then we were supposed to share it with the other person. So, you know, after 20 years, you're not quite as demonstrative, maybe, mm -hmm. uh, verbally or physically, about showing your love. And, uh, you know, I sat there in the plane trying to not show that I was crying <laughs> to the people around me. <laughs> and he was too, because what we put in there was heartfelt and true. And um, 
one of the questions was, uh, tell me about your proposal. Well, we just put in a not applicable because we never had a proposal. Right. Well, that didn't bug me, but it bugged Greg in the back of his mind. Well, we were going to um, Montreal and Quebec on that trip. And the latter part of the trip was in Quebec. And we were in a restaurant. We were we went to a restaurant that had a jazz jazz entertainment, but we had reservations at a restaurant about a block away for dinner. So we loved this singer. She was this kind of French Canadian jazz singer. And um, I needed to go to the restroom at some point. So I go to the restroom. And unbeknownst to me, Greg has this all planned out. He goes to the singer and says, can you sing The Man I Love? She says, yes, I can. This is what's going to happen. Everyone was excited. The told someone to bring some champagne and um, handed his phone to a girl that was sitting at the bar that was a friend of the singers to take a picture. So I come back and we're listening to the music and she starts singing The Man I Love. And he comes around and gets on his knees and I'm kind of embarrassed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Except I know Canadians were, were pretty welcoming to all of this. In fact, the whole restaurant stood up and clapped for us. But he asked me to marry him, and I said yes, and we had champagne, and the pictures were grainy, but they were Mm -hmm. good, and we had a story about our proposal at that point. So those little things, we we grow closer and more in love every year that we are together, and I don't think that happens in every marriage, Mm -hmm. and I feel incredibly blessed that it has happened in my life. Because I had never been in a relationship longer than six months before I met Greg. And I was very, I didn't trust myself that I could stay in this relationship, but it worked out. You've mentioned uh, a couple of times, you know, your relationship with God. And I know that for a lot of uh, people who are gay, that's a very tricky thing Mm -hmm. to navigate because the church has not always been welcoming. Mm -hmm. To that community, what has that been like for you in Amarillo and and sort of going through that journey? Fortunately, I grew up in First Christian Church, which, which is a Disciples of Christ congregation on the more liberal side of Christian churches, and we talked a lot about love and not a lot about fear or sin. Mm-hmm. I mean, one sin wasn't more important than another, or more judgmental than another. Mm -hmm. So I had a good foundation, a good faith foundation from that. Um, When I got into college, I also went to a Disciples of Christ church, which is the same way, Uh, but also kind of got into some other parachurch organizations that that leaned more on the conservative side and visited some other churches and changed my faith a little bit, but I think it's when politically Christian conservatives became more vocal and more against gays and gay marriage, and it was love the sinner, hate the sin, mm-hmm. that I really started having problems with being labeled a Christian. I knew in my heart what I was, but I unfortunately tended to stereotype congregations or denominations that everybody felt that way, which was not true. 
And it really wasn't until I started reading Marcus Borg, who's a mm -hmm. Christian author that wrote a book called The Heart of Christianity. I found out that, oh, wait, not everybody thinks this way. And Christianity is about love. And it does come from the heart. And you don't have to believe everything that every minister says. Uh, you can... You can discern it in your own way, and that really another liberating experience for me. I could still be a Christian and feel the way I do and love the way I want to love and actually be a, tru a truer person mm -hmm. uh, than someone who's leading two lives or hide, trying to hide it in one life and living in the other life. You still attend church today? I do. We have searched a little bit, um, and we have ended up at St. Andrew's Episcopal, and we love it. We love the congregation. We love the high church service, the leaders, the congregants. Um, we're going to be confirmed on Easter. Are you? By the bishop, yes. Okay. And we want to serve the church. We want to be an active part of it. And this has been neat because... Greg came to my church and felt like it was my church. And then he found a church and I went and visited his. And then we, we actually moved about four years ago, right next to St. Andrews. And I'm also an organist. So I had uh, been asked to. There's a good organ. Substitute. St. Andrews. So I substituted St. <laughs> Andrews. Wow. And that kind of gave us both, you know, a reason to visit and, we had visited before anyway, but um, became more accustomed to the service, which was a lot different than what we were raised. Greg was raised Baptist, and and um, there's a lot of kneeling and standing and going up to the front and stuff in the Episcopal Church, and it's all um, with meaning. So we are learning all of that, and we love it, and really good place. Thinking back to where you were, you know, 30 years ago, trying to figure out what to do with your life and, and looking at where you are now, whether it's being married, living in Amarillo, uh, being a partner with a, a, a thriving practice, do you feel surprised at sort of the path that you've taken? Or does it feel like this is the natural progression and makes sense to you? You ask a lot of questions. That's a hard that, question, I well, know. Well, it, it involves retrospect, and um, I don't look back. Okay. I look forward, and now I've never, I've never regretted it. The only time I once thought that I could move or would move is if there was a time when Greg, who uh, he worked at Pantex at that time, might have had an offer from, I think it was Los Alamos, and since Santa Fe was such a, a cool place for us, um, I might have considered moving, but I told him, this is a lot harder for me, who's built a practice over right. all these years right. than for you. I said, we could even, you could even get a condo in Santa Fe and we could commute, see each other on the weekends or stuff. And that, that would have worked for a while because our, our bond is strong and he travels anyway. So... But it didn't, and he loves working for Sandia. And as long as we can travel out of Amarillo every once in a while, 
we think living here is wonderful. We had actually thought, you know, kind of planning retirement early, that we might want to live somewhere else, like uh, Santa Fe, and then it was Phoenix, and then it was San Miguel in Mexico. And we finally came to the conclusion that we we don't realize what we would miss. Our support group here, our physicians here, our church family here, our family family mm-hmm. here. And one of the reasons we moved to a townhouse was so that we could lock and leave and travel as long or as much as we want. We're sticking with that plan. And always have a, a good home base to come back yes. to. And the arts here are so incredible. You just couldn't beat some of the arts and social activities and, and just that, that good, honest-to-goodness honest kindness that Amarillo has. This week's episode is sponsored by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum, located in Canyon on the campus of West Texas A&M University. Now, originally, this message was supposed to be about the museum's spring break hours. But unfortunately, like I said, it's located on the campus of WT. And like many other institutions, WT has closed all activities due to the coronavirus outbreak. So like almost everyone else, I believe this is the best time to make these kinds of very difficult decisions, decisions made out of an abundance of caution, because it can help protect each other and limit the spread of the virus. But I also know the museum is dependent on visitor fees and donations just to stay operational. And they were really looking forward to spring break because that's when a lot of people come see them. So if you were thinking of attending this week, would you consider going to the giving page at panhandleplains.org and making a small donation? And that mindset applies everywhere. If you can, help each other out. This may be a time for social distancing, but it's also a time for solidarity. For instance, local restaurants will feel the impact of these decisions, decisions not to go out to eat. So even if you don't want to dine out, go buy a gift card and hold on to it until this moment passes. You'll still be contributing to their immediate operating expenses. You just won't use the money yet. You might even be able to order a gift card over the phone. So let's take care of each other. Keep yourself and your family safe but also look for ways to help. We can get through this. And go to panhandleplains.org if you want to learn more about the museum and its exhibitions. Okay, I'm back with Neil Nossiman. Neil, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. Um, I've been talking with guests who are gay before, and they have bristled at the Eight Straight part of that. <laughs> I, I didn't even think So I'm just it. waiting for you to make a joke <laughs> or something. Um but no, this is called Eight Straight, and uh, my job is to ask you these eight questions. Your job is to answer them in whatever amount of detail you want to. A lot of these are the same questions that I ask other guests, and so I'm, I'm interested to see your answers. The first one is, what's your favorite local coffee shop? Well, my favorite place to have coffee is my kitchen. Okay. I have this Nespresso coffee maker, and I just I love it. I'm used to that kind of flavor, but... On Monday mornings for the last 30 years, I've had coffee with my best friend, Joe Bill Sherrod. Oh, yeah. And um, 30 years? Yeah, you've 30 done that? years. Wow. And it's changed, you know, the, the places we've gone have changed. But for the last several years, we've been going to a Palace Coffee location of his choice. So uh, that, would, that would be my favorite local coffee place, okay. other than my kitchen. All right. What's your favorite Amarillo neighborhood? 
Well, we presently live in Bivens, and I've I've fallen in love with Bivens. The the tall trees, the beautiful and different types of homes. Uh, St. Andrew's Episcopal Church is right at the end of our block. But we live in a place called Bryan Place, which is kind of a hidden group of townhomes mm-hmm. uh, between I-40 and behind the church. And my favorite neighborhood is Bryan Place. Okay. Because we are a... It's pretty we're self-contained. A, we're right a community. There. Yeah. There's 30 units. Um, I'd like to say I'm the youngest person, but I'm probably the fourth youngest person. Because we had this this young couple just move in, so that kind of ruined the... Excuse <laughs> <laughs> the average. Me. <laughs> but uh, we have at least four, maybe five people that are in their 90s. Wow. Um, and who live independently. And these people are wonderful. We are, we look after each other. We call each other if we haven't seen them. We, we socialize mm-hmm. either, either HOA sponsored Christmas parties or uh, summer parties or something like that. Or we just call, we, we have our best friends right now are a group of women um, who are single because of death. And uh, we hang out with them. They hang out with us. We have the best time. Okay. The short it's sort answer. of a, a little community <laughs> within a community. Yes. What's your favorite restaurant in Amarillo? I'd have to say OHMS. I've known Mary Fuller since she bought the restaurant and I've watched the kids mm-hmm. that run it grow up, and we are an adopted members of their family. And the food is incredible, and the service is incredible. So, yeah. Well, I can confirm that. I think the last time I saw you out in public, you and Greg <laughs> and Joe Bill were all at OHMS. Yeah. So what does this area have too much of? Well, Friday I was going to say fried foods and oversized portions, but I'm going to change it to fear. Okay. I don't think it's exclusive to Amarillo, of course. I think our whole nation has become more fearful. But when I occasionally read comments on posts on Facebook, especially the ones that the, the news stations or news outlets will will put, I just realize that these are not the people I know in Amarillo. And there's a lot of meanness, a lot of angriness, a lot of self-centeredness. And I believe that all comes from fear, maybe fear of the unknown, fear that someone else is going to control my life instead of me, which is not necessarily true. And I'm a big opponent of fear and a big advocate of love, and I'd like to see less fear. We have lots of love in Amarillo. I'd just like to see less fear. I see a lot of that fear expressed online like in a venue like Facebook, less of it in person. Sure. And I wonder if that's about the people or the the comfort that um, interpersonally, you know, it's maybe it's harder to be like that, but it's easier to be like that if you've got just a keyboard in front of you or mm-hmm. something like that. And I think people read comments that might echo a feeling they have, and then there's this kind of herd mentality that, oh, if they said it, I can say it. Mm-hmm. But gosh... Even on Nextdoor, which is supposed to be a community, not even a social network thing, uh, it gets it gets mean. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've seen that too. 
What does this area not have enough of? Rain. And I say that <laughs> the morning after a rain, but um, we don't get enough of it. Okay. And it smells so good this yeah. morning when I walked my dog. <laughs> well, it's, it, it happens rarely enough here that it's still always very exciting and refreshing for people. It's yes. not just like, oh, rain again. Everybody loves it when it rains. Well, just everything just looks greener and cleaner. And mm-hmm. When was the last time you visited Paladura Canyon? I hated to answer this. I'm embarrassed to answer this. It was years ago when a friend of mine from out of town was here and we we hiked the canyon, but it was probably six, seven years ago. Okay. And it's on my bucket list to do more often, but we you, live so close. You're going to Santa Fe too often to, to go to the well, canyon. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> What's the most underrated aspect of living in Amarillo? I think I mentioned it before that we are a community of hardworking people, of honest people, and most certainly the kindest people you could find anywhere. Does that feel different to you from other places you visited? I mean, as, as often as you travel, does it feel like a unique characteristic of this area? I think it is. Um, I haven't lived anywhere long enough other than in school, and then you're around a different, you're kind of around a, a closed group of people. Mm-hmm. But I know doing business in Amarillo is a lot different. You know, if whether it's banking business or or other service oriented jobs, it's different than it than I've experienced it in other big larger cities. Okay. What's your favorite Amarillo nonprofit? I'm really a big supporter of Heal the City. I think what Dr. Keister and his group of volunteers are doing is fulfilling a need uh, that Amarillo needs, especially with the cost of healthcare these days. Okay. Have you been able to get involved with any of that from an eye care perspective? No, but that is on my bucket list for retirement. Okay. I would love to kind of gradually retire from a paying practice and gradually get into a, a volunteer practice. All right. Well, that concludes the eight straight questions. Neil, I like to end by asking my guests to endorse something related to the area. So what's one thing that you would want listeners to know about or to experience? I think there's this emerging nonprofit uh, called the St. Anthony's Legacy and Redevelopment Corporation. Yeah. I know two people who are deeply involved in that, and I, I trust them that it's something Amarillo needs. Because I had a practice, my dad and I had a practice, and I had a practice on the northeast north side of town. I have also noticed that it has declined, and this is an organization that's going to take over St. Anthony's Hospital, turn it into um, affordable housing for people in that community. Um, it's you've heard about the the new business uh, linen service mm-hmm. that's going to employ over a hundred people. Yeah, and. And I think all, all of this is going to spin off into other things that is going to help the North Amarillo community um, thrive and maybe feel um, more of a part of Amarillo than they have in the past. And I want to get involved with it in the organization that does that because I believe it so much. 
Yeah, it's an exciting project. Um, I think it's a long-term project. Mm-hmm. It's not something that you know we'll see all of a sudden up no. and flourishing within a month. You know, it's it's and taking it a lot be. of work. Yeah, it shouldn't be a fast project. Okay, Neil Nossman, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. And that concludes the show. First, I want to say thanks to Neil for the interview. You can learn more about his practice at iCareAmarillo.com. Thanks to Panhandle Plains for sponsoring the show every month and to Angelina Marie for editing the podcast. You can sign up for the email newsletter at bit.ly slash hey newsletter. And I'd also encourage you to visit my Patreon page, patreon.com slash hey Amarillo. This podcast is made possible every week thanks to the people who support me through Patreon including my executive producers, Jess Heredia, Wilson Lemieux, Jason Burr, Wes Reeves, Katie Linger, Neil Nossiman, that's a familiar name, Ryan Pennington, Corey Burns, Jennifer Callahan, Chris Selda, Patrick Burns, and Josh Wood. You can put your name on that list. You can support the show. You can become a sponsor. All of those things through patreon.com slash This has been episode 129. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.